to Battle Red Radio. I'm at Weston this evening. I'm joined by our good pal, the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest on the mall, our good pal BFD, and of course, the one and only oh. Carlos Flores. How are you guys doing tonight? Yo, yo, yo. Party town. Doing something. good. Doing good. That's good. That's good. I'm glad I'm glad y'all are doing okay. I'm glad everybody's doing all right. I'm uh yeah, I'm it's hot, it's nice and hot outside. There's no football at all anymore. Like I don't think the NFL offseason really starts until after the NFL draft. It's not like the day after the Super Bowl and it's offseason. No, it's it just keep football keeps going on with free agency and then you know season reviews and then with the draft and like now we're kind of like really in the deep, you know, swamp of the offseason. So there's nothing really to do at all aside from talk about the past. You can make up new analytics like uh, efficient pass block grade in clutch situations against uh, inside shade techniques or uh, <laughs> win loss one score win loss z sca- z score percentage uh, margin of victory errors or you can uh, go back and learn about coverage schemes like I've spent like the last like month trying to figure out cover seven and yeah, I've lost my mind trying to write about Justin Reed and cover seven is a man match version of quarters defense and I- I've lost my mind trying to figure it out. Um, or you can remember the past, and that's what we're going to do tonight is just talk about some guys that I remember. These are guys anywhere from Jeff Zagania all the way to uh, Seth Wand. They're all on the table, so we're going to remember some guys for tonight. We're going to go full cankles tonight. Yeah, Crocs and cankles tonight. <laughs> I hope. Speaking of Seth Wand, I hope he's doing all right. Remember Seth Wand? I think that's his first name. I think it is. I, mean, I think with having you know Carlos on the show is Carlos is like 23 or something <laughs> like that, and so most of the guys we were going to talk about retired when he was like five. I didn't, but I think that's kind of the good thing about it, where it's like we can hear a uh, hear. I don't even know what they're even calling more. Hear a Zoomer's perspective on it, where we can get uh, like see what they remember, you know? Because like I know they they've had some bad Texan seasons, but. You know, they don't know what it's like to watch Chris Brown fumble the ball into the end zone on fourth and one <laughs> to lose the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2009. And if they remember it, they probably don't remember that specific thing, you know. So I'm interested to to see what his version of guys that he remembers and also see a version of guys you remember. Because like, I don't really know, know anything about the Texans from like like 2000. Nine, like 2009 is like the first time I really remember a whole lot. You know, even though I watched all the games and everything, I can't really m- remember like season to season all that much. You know, I- I'm almost 50. I barely remember to wear pants. <laughs> and then it flips the other way around, where you can't remember the things that you remember. <laughs> and then really, all you're doing is you're not even remembering the memory. You're just remembering it the last time you remembered it. You know. That's how it works. Uh, so I was thinking about, I took a nap on the carpet today on my lunch break, and I was thinking about Corey Bradford. And I was thinking about Corey Bradford because I was thinking about that 2002 Texas game, and that was the inaugural game on Sunday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys. 
And in that game, Corey Bradford had a 65-yard touchdown catch over an underkind Darren Woodson. Now, Andre Johnson was drafted the following year. So Corey Bradford had one season at wide receiver number one. So Carlos, I don't know if you remember Corey Bradford or not, but guess what his average, guess what his catch rate was for his entire career? For his entire career? Yeah, his catch rate for his entire career. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. So he was wide receiver one. For one season. Yeah, yeah, for one so. season. And he came from Green Bay, a speed guy. Okay, so it can't be that good. Because even in the in the Dallas game, I saw some pretty like bad drops. So I'd imagine somewhere in the realm of like 35, 40? Uh, it was 46, which is still really bad. But yeah. some of his seasons are hilarious because he has like, you know, 26 catches on 64 targets. And uh, and then Andre Johnson has like, you know, 75 catches, on 112 targets. And like, like you can pretty much take all the other receivers and add them up. And they're like kind of similar to Andre Johnson's total production from like his rookie year, you know, on until about like 2008, 2007 or so. Right. Um, the other thing I remember about that game, too, was... So I finally got to go to the gym today, uh, and uh, it was beautiful because you have to make like a reservation now, so it's not really crowded at all, and it's it's kind of like going to like a an empty movie theater. And the fr- of course, you know, the only thing I did was just do a bunch of bicep curls because I watched Gary Walker, uh, his uh, his safety sack of Quincy Carter in that first game, and it's the greatest bicep flex I've ever seen. I remember being like 12 whenever that game happened. I was like. Yeah, I would love to have biceps, and I've never been able to have them at all. But I, uh, I rekindled that that moment from my youth today, and, and we'll make sure to stick to it uh, for the rest of this year, and make sure to do as many curls as possible to have some semblance of Gary Walker's form. But the one thing I didn't think about it, didn't realize, was that Seth Payne's really one that has the sack. Walker just kind of jumps on top, but because he does the flex and the camera is all, all over him and even all over him on the sideline, you don't even really realize that it's Seth Payne coming along on a loop that really is the one that creates that sack there for it. Yeah, it was a, it was a Brian Cushing sack. Like Cushing was the last, always the last guy in the pile. So he got but the, always got the bicep flex. <laughs> and then he got the Cushing, bicep flex. Cushing's a great bicep flex guy. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimate bicep flex guy is Cushing. Not as beautiful as Gary's, but ultimate bicep flex guy. Um, and the other thing I remember about that game, too, is how fat and stupid Dave Campo looked. Like, I, I hated him so much. As, you know, you have to watch the Cowboys every single weekend. You grow him in San Antonio. And they would always have that coaches session where they would talk to Gabe. Because Dave Campo was the coach there for like three or four years. And they never had a 500 record. And you had to sit there and listen to him. You know, breathe out of his mouth. And, you know... Uh, you know, rest his hands on his fupa and discuss, you know, how the Cowboys are really putting it together. And it, it just made me so belligerently angry, you know, Sunday after Sunday watching this sort of stuff. But definitely a transference, you know. So is there anything else that you remember at all from this very first game, BFD? The thing I'll, I remember is that Billy Miller, that touchdown that he scored, that was like the greatest tight end stretch for a touchdown like ever. And I don't even know if it really was a touchdown in retrospect. But, you know, growing up in Houston in the 70s <clears throat> and, and the, the most fair-weathered fan base in the history of sports, the Dallas Coke Boys, there was, that game gave me such thrills to beat them. And I didn't care. We were trash. We were a trash team. I mean, every expansion team is. It's just kind of the rule. 
And but to win that game over the Coke boys was just like, man, that was a slam dunk moment. And uh, one of the one of my favorite sports memories, frankly. But Billy Miller, man, when he made that stretch for that first touchdown, that was pretty cool. Yeah, if he played for the Tennessee Titans, they would have won a Super Bowl. You know, wow, Carlos! You know who Billy Miller is? He was like a tight end. He couldn't block, but was he's like he was Garrett Graham before Garrett Graham, but he was cooler because he had some tattoos and stuff. <laughs> he was edgy Garrett Graham. Yeah, like if uh, if Garrett Graham watched Radar movies and listened to Pantera. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I read in the comments say that I don't I don't remember from this game, and I do want to do a show later on this summer where. We actually sit down and watch this this game and talk about it again. But uh, Jermaine Lewis dropped like a 55-yard pass in that game that like hit him right in the chest and bounced off. And I don't remember that play at all, but I remember Jermaine Lewis, and I remember he came from Baltimore and was like a big uh, a big kick returner for Houston whenever he was first drafted. Do you remember that drop pass at all, BFT? No, I don't find it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't remember that play. I just remember, I do remember, uh, he kind of looked, you know what, Billy Miller kind of looks like uh, Blake Griffin. Kind of, yeah. He kind of looks like that. Blake Griffin, yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one of the guys. So who's the first guy that you have on your, on your list, Carlos? Uh, so one of my first guys, I think, I, my knowledge of Texans football pretty much stretches back to 2010. I don't go that far back, at least not yet. So uh, probably one of the first guys that I'd like to talk about is um, Owen Daniels is easy, but Joel Dreesen to me was just like that guy who hung around for a couple years that just could never really shape up to be a solid number two. And I remember a lot of times that I just thought like he's essentially Garrett Graham before Garrett Graham. Yeah, I like Dreesen. And Dreesen, of course, played for the Denver Broncos. Like, every single Texans tied in played for the Broncos once uh, once Kubiak left, too. Like, Owen Daniels caught those big touchdown catches against New England in the AFC title game. And I think Garrett Graham signed with Denver but couldn't even make the team whenever he was drafted and uh, whenever he was cut from Houston that's that season as well, too. Yeah, Dreesen, you know, he... He was kind of a fun guy to watch. Look, look, I'm not going to even talk a little bit of smack about Joel Dreesen because he did his role like year in, year out. He was a fun guy to watch. Decent catch rate, caught touchdowns. You know, he, he did his role. And I think that if you if he's your TE2, you're not doing so bad. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's like, I don't know, Gary Kubiak just has has such a nose for you finding those like your second, third, four string tight ends who can always kind of do at least a little bit of something. Yeah, cuz he's a CSU dude, that's right. CSU dude. Okay. Yeah, so he kind of fits that whole Houston, Colorado connection pretty well too. Yeah. Uh so who's your who's your first guy BFD? Oh, I am I'm shocked you're asking me that cuz I I can't believe you wouldn't know who I'd go for. And that's another CSU grad, uh Mike Brazell who just was one of my favorite players. He just was a an ultimate lunch player kind of guy. I'm making sure he was... Come on, pull it up. Yep, Colorado State. And he was 
undrafted. We got him for nothing, and he played. He gave us five really solid, at times, all pro type level years. Just kind of a guy who just was in there, came in, game out. You know, it's he's really kind of a, a silly guy to reference in retrospect, but he was a lot of fun to watch, and he was a guard for Crikey's mm-hmm. sake. So anyway, there's your vague reference. You're welcome. Uh- yeah, Brissell is good. He yeah he like was a good outside zone guard. Played next to Chris Myers all those years. Uh, so this is a, a blog post from Rivers in 2012. Mike Rizell signs with the Oakland Raiders, and it it goes the Texans exodus continues. Or came late Friday. The Raiders have signed longtime Texans guard Mike Rizell to a five year deal. His agent broke the news on Twitter. Later, John McClain had the details on the contract: twenty million over five years. Here's what he had to say to Mark Berman. I'm excited. It's going to be a chapter in my life, so it's going to be exciting. Just the familiarity of the scheme, it's definitely positive. We're in a position right now to compete in this division. I'm super excited. And then when it came to leaving the Texans, it's sad. It's those things I thank them for everything. Give me the opportunity. Sticking with me through some tough times. I can be happy about the way last season happened. I was all, I will always be one of the Texans diehards at or I will always be one of those Texans diehards at heart. So I think uh, he read you know, Diehard Chris's website all those years and made sure to give him a shout out in his uh, exodus out of Houston. Yeah, yeah. He, he got paid. He got yeah, paid. Good for him. Yeah, Brissell had a Brissell was a good player, and he only played you know two years in Oakland. Uh, you would know what Oakland's record was those two years they were ready to compete in the division. They went four and twelve. And then the following season, they went four and twelve, and those were the last two years of Brussels career. Oh, and then 2014, they went three and thirteen. So that was uh, that was how Mike Brussels' career went in Houston, in Oakland, I should say. And then he grew he grew his hair out in Oakland. Doesn't look like the same guy at all yeah, whatsoever. Right. It's right. a shame. It's a shame. I remember also being really upset whenever Eric Winston got cut, but it didn't matter at all. And I remember being really upset when they traded D'Amico Ryan's. Remember. Going to like that season was like this stupid Texans are killing their playoff chances. They finally have a chance to be a playoff team, and then you know, they went twelve and four that year. And they went yeah. ten and they went ten and six with TJ Yates that year. Yeah, but Winston was done. Ryan's was done. Yeah, it was just me he, being you know, dumb in seventeen. That's a thing. Yeah, it's, it's my, my son thing. is seventeen. I can very pretty much vouch for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God, God, they're stupid. Uh, the other game I was thinking about today, I went back and watched, was in 2014, the Texans played the Cleveland Browns, and Ryan Fitzpatrick was benched in Houston because they lost to Philadelphia and Nick Foles. And Nick Foles had a touchdown uh, ratio that year of like like 37 to 2. <laughs> it was absolutely absurd, the, the touchdown ratio he had that season. Uh, but Houston lost like 31-21, and after that, they benched Fitzpatrick, and they came out of the bye and played Cleveland. And Ryan Mallett was a starting quarterback, and that game had J.J. Watt catch a touchdown and a fade pass. It also had Alfred Blue carry the football. Um, he carried the football 36 times for 156 yards. Now, these carries were not very good. I think the longest carry he had was for 20 yards. That was extended because of a unnecessary roughness penalty. But the funniest thing about it is, like, in the third quarter, like, oh, yeah, we'll just stuff the box and not let him do this at all anymore. And like you, you feel bad for Blue in this situation because it's like he's really just throwing his head against uh, against the wall over and over again, like a 1980s fight scene. But the only good thing about going back and watching it was watching Brandon Brooks and Derek Newton just 
I mean, just smashed that right side of the line scrimmage over and over again. And they were, uh, they were such a joy to watch working together. Carlos. Yeah. So I remember from that game, I, I watched some of the highlights that you posted of Alfred blue on Twitter from that game. And it is just brutal ground and pound. It's just a couple yards here, a couple yards there. It's, it's a grind, but I remember seeing Chris Myers get beat up on quite often that game. And it's kind of uncharacteristic of him since he's usually pretty solid, but I remember that JJ touchdown, like it was yesterday and that whole little hot streak they had it using him on offense. It was almost like an unprecedented way of using a defensive player to, to score touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that Man, I just look back on that so fondly that we were actually pretty creative or having fun out there. I would say. Yeah, having fun with JJ and wasting the best year of his career because they actually like I'll never forget them signing Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, yeah, that's a fine backup option for you know a young quarterback, and then it quickly becoming, oh, they're just gonna start Ryan Fitzpatrick this season, and the Texans should have been a playoff team that year, and uh, they should bounce back a lot better than they did in fourteen. But yeah, that that Watt season was uh, I mean it was the greatest season I've ever seen from one player, and the game I was thinking about from that season wasn't. Not, not like the touchdowns are great because he had that one where he dodged the laser against Indy. He had that other touchdown against Oakland. Um, I think he caught one other touchdown pass too. But and he had the pick six against Buffalo. But the Buffalo game I was thinking about because he had zero sacks, but he had like twelve quarterback hits that game, and he had like twenty one pressures. And uh, it was the most absurd. Like it's like the most absurd game I've ever seen, just from a box score perspective. But I want to. I do want to write about that Buffalo game because if you wanted to write about Watt's 14 season, you could write an entire book about it. You know, like each game, just like game in game out, he put on. Like it was. I mean, it was like watching a better version of Aaron Donald that season, where just like the touchdown, the touchdown passes he had, how many tackles for a loss he had. Um, I think he almost had, did that 20-20-20 thing where he wanted to have 20 passes defense two in the same season, and uh, I still don't think he should have been the MVP though. And it's only because they didn't make the playoffs. You know, like you, I think my personal opinion, you have to make the playoffs to be the MVP. No. That's my wrong. opinion on that one. Yeah, and Mike Trout, takeaways MVP awards. <laughs> if he's so if right. he's so valuable, why doesn't he make the playoffs? Huh? Tell me that, Skip. <laughs> tell me that, tell me that, Shannon. No. Uh, so, uh, it- I was just going to say, my, my two cents on that game is watching Alfred Blue on that game. and it, 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 I just remember... Um, kind of the fallout in some ways like all of a sudden that was alfred blue's breakout game and when you look at the numbers it was like it was 4.3 yards per carry 4.3 he had 156 yards this is like this is like madden-esque rookie mode we're just gonna dive every damn play goal line dive 36 times a game and he got 156 yards i mean that's what that game reminded me of even even in real time it was like i've seen this i i like you know my, again, my son's 17, and he, he used to play Madden, and and that would be like his main play is just to do dives like 35 times a game in rookie mode, and he'd win. That's what that was like for me. By the way, kids should never play video games until they're at least 14 because they suck at it otherwise. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's good for them to like play and lose and whatever it is they want to set it up, you know. Uh, 
Well, and that's not true. Like I was really good at NHL too, you know, with the <laughs> with the Buffalo Sabres and Chris Craddon and Miroslav right. Satan and right. Michael Pekka and Dominic Hasek. Um, so I, I have a trivia question for you, BFD. So oh, last decade, there were 33 games where a player had 20 carries and less than 50 rushing yards. Three of those running backs did it twice. Can you name one of these running backs that last decade that had two games where they had 20 carries and less than 50 rushing yards? Well, obviously, I'm going to say Alfred Blue, not knowing the answer, but... Close. He had his other game was against Dallas in 18, but he had like he had like 18 carries for 48 yards. It was close, but he's not one of the three. And I was really surprised by this. I thought I had a good stat here, but uh, he wasn't one of the three. Oh, 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 the Redskins running back. Um, um, God, dog it. Come on, brain. Work. He's uh, started with the Redskins, went to the 49ers, and now he's out of the league. Alfred Morris? Yes. No, he's not one, but it's uh, so the three the three running backs that have more than have at least two games of twenty carries and less than fifty rushing yards, which I wish we could just call this Alfred Blue, because I think of Alfred Blue, this is what I think about. Uh, but he had, but it's Joe Mixon, Lashawn McCoy, and Jeremy Hill. So teams that like to establish the run, only the Bengals are um, more so than Houston. Also, these are two other really fun Alfred Blue rushing stats um, against the Jets. He had twenty one carries for fifty eight yards. And then against Dallas, he had 20 carries for 46 yards. So I guess that's the that's his one game like that. But yeah, 28 car- 21 carries for 58 yards, which is uh, just beautiful. And I need to go back and watch that 18 Dallas game because I don't, I don't remember him running the ball that much. I remember being mad about how much they ran the ball, but I don't remember being upset about Alfred Blue at all in that 18 game against Dallas they won. Every time Alfred Blue gets got the ball, I would be upset. I mean, it was just kind of a de facto kind of way <laughs> to look at the situation. Uh, and do you remember Alfred Blue's career yards per carry? We discussed this in the NFL draft. Do you have this number? 3.6. You? you got 3. it. 6. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the pie for Houston Texans football. All right. Uh, who's the next right, I, think, guy? I think the number of carries is 672. Do I still have that right? I'd have to look. We'll have to see. I'll have to. I'll look it up right now. And watch that game against Buffalo. He had zero sacks, five tackles, one touchdown for an ADR return, and nine quarterback hits. Sorry, six hundred seventy-three. <laughs> Damn. Sorry. Go ahead, Big Matt. I'll I'm running. I'm running that down. I'm getting a tattooed <laughs> on my on my upper thigh. Uh, <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get that tattoo my upper thigh. Yeah, but while I had nine quarterback hits that game against Buffalo, and whenever I'm going to write about that game, hopefully in a week or so. Hopefully. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, who's your next guy, Carlos? Real quick before I go on to my next guy, I just want to say the only positive memory I have of Alfred Blue is him getting absolutely forklifted by uh, Brian Cushing on Hard Knocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the only positive thing I can remember about him is just like, Seeing him, I mean, he he actually blocked pretty well on those first two go-arounds, but Cushing came back and killed him on that third rep, so I just want to get that out there. Yeah, that's a nice uh, thing to say. I and it, it, That does suck, though. Like, I think everybody who's played football has been there before, where there's, like, the older guy who, who like, you beat once or whatever, and the coach yells at him, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be dead for the rest of the day, you know? And you get <laughs> blindsided and tossed around and... You know, they don't let you drink water and everything else. You know, you get bullied pretty immediately after that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, let's see. But I, uh, my next player is definitely going to be uh, Glover Quinn. Um, just because it always brings me back to that uh, that Hail Mary game, Texans-Jags in 2010, and the just raw feelings that I had. I think that was the first time I ever really like felt pa- super hyper-passionate <laughs> about a sport was when I saw that ball go down, and uh, Gus Johnson's commentary was just perfect. I mean, I, I love him. So him just yelling at the top of his lungs with Mike Thomas running in the end zone, that that was a dagger. And I, I, I remember faintly just throwing stuff. I do remember. <laughs> so that, uh, I mean, Glover Quinn, in general, I believe he ended up going to a Detroit mm-hmm. um, after Houston. I mean, he wasn't bad. It was just that one big goof that, no matter what good he did, it just always sticks out. Yeah, yeah. And Glover Quinn's a all-time you know BRB player. We spent, I think, like this. The I think it was like spring break of 2013. We we're all mm. very upset whenever they let him go to Detroit. Right. We're very, and then they signed Ed Reed instead, of course. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh man, I forgot about that signing. That he's technically a Texan. And, and he was the missing link to, for the Texans uh, championship because <laughs> he knew how he knew how to play against Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. He had that mystical aura that they wouldn't know how to throw the ball against him staying the deep middle of the field, despite the fact he was you know 36 and had one leg that worked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, see now. All right. Let's talk about something happier, I guess. But yeah, Glover. Oh, wait, wait. I want two cents one. on. I want two cents yeah, on. Yeah. Love. Yeah, uh, so so a friend of mine uh, in El Paso, uh, sports ca- uh, sportscaster Steve Kaplowitz, after we picked him in the fifth round, he immediately texted me and he said, "Oh yeah, I mean this guy's this guy is going to be good as long as they use him right." And so I watched a bunch of film on him, and, and Steve's Steve's football knowledge is middling, kind of. I'll just be very honest with it. Um. He said, if they use him at cornerback, he's going to be good. The first time I saw Glover Quinn, I said, that's a safety. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a guy who needs to play with his face to the ball. He's a safety. And it took us like four years to figure that out. He finally figured it out. He gives us a great year, a three-pick game against, was it the, the ESFs? And then he, he goes to Detroit. And, you know, there are a few times that I can thump my chest and say, hey, I called that man. I called G Love's career, and he was—he would have been an All-Pro and borderline Hall of Fame safety if we started him there. Yeah, and he—he he decided to stop playing football pretty early. Like I think he retired like in his early 30s, and I think he had enough of Detroit. You know, Detroit had one good season with him there, and that was that team that lost to the line. They lost to the Seahawks in the first from the playoffs, where they tried to run the ball like 35 times and did absolutely nothing. Right. Uh, yeah, that, that Lions game, I'm with you on that, Carlos, because remember whenever it happened, it kind of reminded me of, because like, I'm a Sacramento Kings fan, whenever Robert Horry hit that game-winning shot, I was like, that has to be against the rules, like, that can't happen at all, that's, uh, that's against the rules of modern, phys- uh, that's against the rules of, you know, physics, that can't be legal, that had to happen against the clock, but no, of course, it's, you know, it's the Texans, and things like that happen to them, you know. Yeah, it feels like it's not fair, and especially the fact that he volleyball spiked it. Like, literally, <laughs> exactly what you're supposed done to do. Anything else, but he decided to spike it, and which, uh, which is exactly what he's coached to do in that situation. Is because they don't want you to try catch it because you can tip it up in the air, and then it goes to somebody else. But the volleyball spike right into it is is really unbelievable. Probably the most Texans thing to ever Texans at all. 
it, it's up there. Chris Brown's up there. Giving Alfred Blue the football 673 times is up there. <laughs> which which Chris Brown do you hate more? Uh, K-R-I-S Brown or C-H-R-I-S Brown? Look, K-R-I-S. Look, he started off poorly, but he did well after that. C-H-R-I-S. See, but he, again, again, you put your players in a position to succeed, and that's not what they did with C-H-R-I-S Brown. Of course, he was pretty sucky anyway. he's, He's my least favorite Texan of all time. And I, they signed him because they had a bad red zone offense in 2009. And they're like, well, we got Chris Brown from the Titans. He knows how to score touchdowns. He's going to help us out this season. Uh, he blew four games on his own. The only Texans game I went to was in 2009. And we were like in the south end zone. And Maurice Jones drew score a touchdown that end zone. Everybody started giving, the, giving him the middle finger and throwing beer at him. And he really seemed to enjoy that. But then they were driving to tie the game on the other end zone. And like everybody starts like standing up holding the the touchdown sign. And then all of a sudden a Jaguar has the ball and is celebrating. And Chris Brown fumbled the ball into the end zone. And the Jaguars recovered. And that's how the Texans lost that game. Um, also, he threw a, a halfback pass into the end zone for interception when they were trying to come back and tie game. And then he also failed to score in fourth and one against Arizona. And they lost that game as well, too. So Houston went five and six and one score games that year. Uh, three of those losses can be contributed to CRIS Brown. And then two of them can be contributed to uh, KRIS Brown. He missed two game winning slash game time field goals that season too. And so the Chris Browns are the reason why the Texans didn't make the playoffs in 2009. Do you remember the Chris Browns at all, at all Carlos? Or is that a little bit too, too, uh, too early in your, in your development? So I started life with Neil Rackers. Um, oh. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> when he was done. <laughs> I mean, looking at it, it's an 84% field goal percentage. It's not the greatest in the world, not really acceptable by most standards. But, I mean, not the worst. I can't remember him doing anything spectacularly awful as some, <laughs> some of the Chris's. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's a little bit further beyond my reach, at least for what I've seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm still I haven't been to a Texans game since and I may go this year. Every time I think I'm going to go, they do something. Then I'm like, no, I'm not going to go this year. I was mad about them train Clowney last year. It's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, so in 2008, the Texans were 26 in red zone touchdown rate at 45.9%. They bumped up to 54%, just 12th the following year. And that was why they signed Chris Brown. And uh, I have to I have to look up Chris Brown's stats that year because I'm so incredibly angry still about about what he did (laughs) so chris brown that year he had 79 carries for 267 yards which is 3.4 yards a carry um he had exactly three touchdowns and then he had one fumble and i guess three total touchdowns that year but yeah 3.4 yards a carry chris brown and see yours is chris brown mine's uh, peabock philippa cannon Oh, gotcha. Yeah, they gave him all that money, and he was really bad. Straight, straight trash, yeah. I mean, there were a bit, well, and Ed Reed. I mean, how can you not, like, put Ed Reed on the top of that, the most mm-hmm. hated Texans list? Well, I remember, and then Dante Robinson and uh, and Philip Buchanan were supposed to be the lockdown, you know, cornerback right, duo right. for him. Who are, who are the safeties on that team? Can you remember? 
Oh God, was they were it like Eugene was it Wilson Stevens? and CC Brown yeah. or something like that? Oh, that's right. Uh, uh, Concrete Brown. Oh, <laughs> uh, jeez. That's such a good name. Oh God, and uh, I think it was Eugene, and we called him the Human Pylon, Eugene Wilson, back in those days. Gotcha. I the, if I see if I could go back and watch one Texan season from like that time that I don't remember, I think I would go with either. I think I would go oh nine, but like the or the la, that year like Cars last year only year with Kubiak that would one would be fun to watch just because you watch uh, you know Car go twenty one for twenty two for one hundred thirteen yards you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Chris Brown had sixteen touchdowns with the Titans in his you know six years there. And then he had three with Houston the following year and then never played on their snap in the NFL again. Well, no, because he shouldn't have. He was terrible. They've really had some bad luck with free agent running backs. They, ter- they ruined Lamar Miller's career. Amon Green was bad. Um, Amon Chris Green Brown was done. Was bad. Chris Brown was bad. They didn't yeah. use him correctly. But, you know, Amon Green was done. Yeah, for sure. But he was still bad in Houston. He was great when he was 23. He had like two like awesome seasons in Green Bay. So was I. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's your next guy, BFD? <laughs> I, I, there, there's a couple of guys I want up there, but I want to talk about one. Carlos, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I lost your video. Mm. He grunts. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you so, sound like uh, Shrek. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I've got a couple more guys. I'm gonna. I got one in my pocket. My favorite. My favorite one in my back pocket. But I'm gonna go with Derek Ward, who had one of the most insane seasons I can ever ever remember. I'm hoping I still have it up. In 2010, he rushed 50 times for 315 yards. That's pretty good. <laughs> Which is dadgum good. 6.3 yards per carry. And and. Even in real time, it was really funny watching him play because he was so slow. And so when I think it was Rivers and I were doing the podcast at that point in time, and we gave him the nickname the Glacier because it looked like he ran like he was a glacier. But <laughs> just but the, carving up the mountains. Pretty much. It was just so slow. So it always reminded me watching Derek Ward and and uh, you know, again, anybody who's listened to the cast over the years knows that I'm a big historian is that he always reminded me of a fairy swordfish, one of the, the biplanes that helped sink the, the Bismarck in World War II. Because the Bismarck was used to planes that were a lot faster. And then you had, the, you had these fairy swordfish biplanes that were so slow, and the Bismarck could not mark them correctly. And so they did so I mean, they basically sunk the ship, ultimately. They were, they were responsible for the sinking of the Bismarck. But that was always Derek Ward to me. He was the fairy swordfish of the NFL. And there's all the references right there, Carlos. I like it. It's a very pretty plane. I like the paint job on it. <laughs> deep cuts. So many deep cuts. <laughs> that, uh, that reminds me of, so uh, Nash Meister, really good comment today on the Remember Some Guys post. And he had a whole thing about running back. So he said, the plotting of Jonathan Wells and Stacey Mack, the oh my God, he's actually goodness of Dominic Davis. The athleticism turned three point or three yards per carry, Tony Hollings. The surprising competence of Ron Dane, 
the blockbuster Vernon Morency for Sam Congado trade. And I like Morency. I think went to Oklahoma State. I remember liking him there. I believe. He's an OSU dude. Yep. Yeah, I remember like I think they I think he helped upset OU whenever they kept beating them that like last week of the season and ruining OU's talent chances. That was fun. Uh, Chris Taylor's breakout game in Cleveland that surely marked him as a star in the making. I don't even know who that is. Steve Slayton's incredible rookie year that portended the same. Did we get a few carries to Echimondu at some point? Then the quintessential Kubiak backups like Ryan Motes, Chris Brown, and Derek Ward. Carlos, there, there's, there's also fun guys like Karen Higdon. Uh, oh, God. He's not fun. Remember, <laughs> remember, fun. remember how excited I was for, his, for Chris Polk because he was in Hard Knocks and uh, his and he he banged banged or whatever they called it. And who was the guy from Purdue that was really fast? That never got to really play all that much. That like just caught like a screen pass here and there, like fourteen. Oh, um, geez, the guy who killed all the cornerbacks who tried to tackle him. Yeah. Uh, uh maybe that was the sixteen Texans. Yeah, that uh, Kareem. Hunt. Was it Kareem? Was it Kareem Hunt? Uh, Hunt was his last name. Yeah. Let's see. Here. Oh, Akeem Hunt. Akeem Hunt. Akeem Hunt. That's there right. Is. I liked hey, him. Yeah, five point five yards a carry. Akeem yeah, Hunt. and he killed everybody who tried to tackle him. Yeah, better than uh, Jonathan Grimes, that's for sure. <laughs> God. And one thing I want to just say about Derek Ward is that uh, is is. It's so rare that you see a running back who is so fits the system so perfectly, but he did what he did. I mean, it was just amazing. You don't get six three six point three yards per carry without following instructions. Even on fifty fifty is a pretty solid sample size. It was amazing watching him carry the ball that year. It was just mm-hmm. off the charts. Yeah, I wonder if there's some highlights on YouTube or something of uh, Derek Ward's, you know, two thousand seven season or whatever it was. Yeah, because his long was only like. What was this long that year? It was not long. It was 12. <laughs> so his long was 12, and he averaged 6.3 yards of carry. Holy <laughs> cow. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was 5'11", 240. He actually, yeah. in 2008 with the Giants, he had 182 carries for 1,025 yards, which is 5.6 yards of carry. There has, to be, some, a- there has to be some Derek Ward highlights in, on that YouTube somewhere. Have to be. All right, Carlos, who's your next guy that you got? I've got a combo of uh, Lester and Devere Posey for being like these revolutionary, re- revolutionary receivers that were in camp that were supposed to come in and, and be huge and ended up being absolutely nothing to anybody. Uh, Posey... It was really funny that the Posey that the entire draft. So so BRB had a big draft, big draft party in Houston at a place called 365. I think is what it was called. And so we had this big draft party that night for that one. And I just remember that when Posey was called out, everybody went, why? So uh, that, that's always going to be my memory of the Vier Posey. I, I think part of it's just because uh, little Matt, uh, not Big Matt, who's doing the podcast now, but Little Matt, who went to, uh, who's a Michigan fan, always hated all, hates everything that's OSU related. And so, of course, that's where Davier Posey went was OSU, Ohio, oh, how I hate Ohio State. Right. And so I just remember that that everybody was just like really deeply disappointed 
especially because Russell Wilson was still on the board. Yeah. Well, and, and Posey had that really great. Like the only memory I remember I have of Posey is he had that really great catch against catch. the Patriots. Yep. He had one really great catch against the Pats in that game that was already over uh, in the that in the 2012 season. And you know what else Posey is? He's a Grey Cup all uh, uh, Grey Cup MVP to be your Posey. <laughs> Priorities, man. Yeah. Priorities. Hey, you know, like if you can, you got to find achieve greatness somehow, and he was able to do that. And they try coming to the NFL the following year and, and never made anywhere after that. But uh, but good for him. Yeah, I try to find some award highlights and all I could and I couldn't find any. But there is a YouTube video from six years ago that's titled Amani Tumor, the greatest receiver in New York Giants history. Oh God. <laughs> Jeez. Being being a fan is definitely a mental illness, you know. We we uh, back in the day we used to call Amani Tumor glass hands. Yeah. He was always like an ADA Madden, though. That's all that matters, you know. Uh, the next guy I have here is Garrett Graham, and I just wanted to mention him because God. he signed a a three year, eleven point two five million dollar contract extension. And I remember that being like a really big source of of like contempt within the website where everybody was was like, "This is a terrible contract. You don't give a tight end can't beat man coverage and can't block, you know, four million dollars a year because good teams aren't built by giving." Uh, bad players that much money like that. And I think Graham lasted one year to get that contract was cut and then try to catch on with De- with Denver and didn't last. And like really just like I don't know, all he's Aldi's version of Owen Daniels, you know, like discount grocery store version of Owen Daniels. Went to Wisconsin as well too. And I mean I don't really have anything nice to say about Garrett Graham other than they did give him a three year eleven point two five million dollar contract extension. And it kind of like sums up like Rick Smith's tenure as the general manager too, where he was like make you know for every great decision he made there was always like two baffling decisions that kind of kept the team hamstrung at the same time so carlos who's your next guy you got um i would definitely have to say uh it's a little bit more recent but fedorowitz with all the potential that he had and how desperately everybody wanted to see him step up and uh just the unfortunate injury history I think it's kind of similar to like an untapped potential of like warring, except we've gotten to see Fedorowicz. We haven't gotten to see warring yet. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not a big Fedorowicz fan and I know there's a lot, like I was excited for him because I heard he's such a great blocker, but he didn't really block in the NFL that well. And Bill, the way Bill O'Brien used him was absolutely nauseating. It was just like, all right, Fedorowicz just run out on the flag and catch a four yard pass on third and 10. And like, it's like the Ryan Griffin thing, you know, like just go on the flat and catch a, you're the check down and you know, you would watch, uh, you know, Brian Hoyer just drop the ball off over to him over and over again. My favorite thing about Fedorowicz though, was the American, like the bald Eagle we had that thing rocked. <laughs> sure. CJ Fedorowicz was what we hoped that, um, I mean, his, his, his comparables like on the combine, um, were um, uh, like Gronk-like. I mean, he he was a great athlete. Supposedly could block. Had supposedly could block. Had speed. Had the quicks. And he did not develop at all. I mean, there. I don't know if if I can remember very many guys who seem to have that sort of skill set that they they had like a little bit of freak about them, and then they had a little bit of the football skills about them that didn't develop as poorly as CJF did. He just, he never developed at all. It was really confusing to me. 
Yeah, I'm trying to. So he was in that 14 draft class, which was the famous draft class where the Texans were an A plus draft because they got bigger in the trenches, and that's how you win football games, sort of thing. Oh God, and, that was like uh, the worst freaking draft ever. And that in was that ever. was the clown. That was the clowny, Sufio, Fedorowitz, uh, Lewis Nix the third, Tom Savage. Uh, I, I can't name any more. That's I'm I'm stuck after that. <laughs> Andre Hal. Yeah, he was in the sixth. No, yeah, he was in the sixth round. I think of that draft. But uh, man, yeah, that was rough. And the only thing, the only memory I have of Fedora's like making a big play was that was like remember when Oswaller, or I should say, name redacted, threw that touchdown pass to beat to beat Indy on Thursday Night Football, where they came back where they were down like twenty three seven or whatever, and he threw that pass that went through. I think it was Mike Adams or. Uh, Clayton Gathers. It went through one of those two guys' hands, and Fedora's caught it on a fade route or like a seam route up the middle. And like somehow this ball didn't get picked off, like went right through the safety's hands for Indianapolis. And they ended up scoring a touchdown tying there um, or winning the game because of that game winning pass. Do you remember that at all? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's the only thing he ever did. His also, his yards per catch numbers are pretty funny. So in his career, he he had. Uh, seven yards, nine point eight yards, ten point four yards, and nine point one yards of reception. And uh, his best year was in 2016 with name redacted, of course. Just a waste. He was the guy was just he had so much talent, and then he got the concussions, and it makes me wonder how how much the concussion history beforehand really you know kind of played a role in him not developing. Yeah. Hey, Carlos, can you spell Fedorowitz? Because I can still spell Fedorowitz, and it, it makes me so mad that I still know how to spell it. Okay, I'm going to try and do it without looking. Okay. F-I-E-D-O-R-O-W-I-C-Z. You got it. That was pretty good. Damn. Damn, oh, that nice. was good. Nice. Uh, you know what his DVOA was in 2016 and the best <laughs> year of his career? It was uh, negative 18.8%, which was 39th of all tight ends. And his DYAR was negative 67, which is fourth of all tight ends. But, you know, he did have uh, 54 receptions and four touchdowns. And, you know, that's the only thing that matters. Jesus. <laughs> uh, do you, Carlos, do you know what the CJ stands for in CJ Fedorowitz? No. What's it stand for? It's like Colton John Fedorowitz. Whoosh. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I, ho- I hope he's doing good. <laughs> I hope his head's feeling good. I hope he still has that awesome tattoo. Um, I hope he's doing. I hope he's still. I, 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 I hope he he's enjoying his second life. Yeah, yeah. He better not have. I hope he's enjoying his second life though. I mean, this thing. This is a badass tattoo. Good God. Damn, I can't wait for the Fourth of July. Looking at this <laughs> thing. <laughs> All right, BFD. Who's your next guy? You got? Is this my last one? I think it's my I don't last know. one. Is this your last one? I think it's my last one. Jacoby Jones. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, my God. <laughs> Back in the day, we used to call him Shakespeare. Because he, the dude had the best quotes ever. I mean, he was always just off the hook. He's a Louisiana dude. So, you know, he's a little bit broken. I'm, I'm part Louisiana, too. So I can say that with all affinity. But the guy, he um, <clears throat> gave us a lot of good. I, I always go back to the Tampa Bay game where the first play was a play action and Matt Schaub underthrew Jones a little bit. You know, that whole Matt mm-hmm. Schaub underthrows everybody 
all the time kind of thing. And Jacoby Jones still, you know, does his thing. And then you go back to where he killed us in the playoff game against the Ravens. And, you know, Jacoby Jones was like probably the most bipolar player in Texans history as far as how it hit our team. But, uh, you know, the guy was just, he was a lot of fun. He's the kind of guy I wanted to hang with back in the day. Carlos. I, like you said, I think I just kind of point back to that Ravens game and the muffed punt. It just so many feelings <laughs> that just want to like bubble out. But for the most part, I mean, <clears throat> he wasn't the worst guy in the world. I mean, we sat through a lot of Keyshawn Martin for a very long time. Uh, his, but... his little, his little arms. <laughs> Yeah, so crocodile arms. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's a shame that he turn coded to go to the Ravens, but I mean, well, know. the 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 universal law is if you want to win a Super Bowl, don't play for the Houston Texans. And <laughs> Jacoby Jones exemplified that by like having two touchdowns in that Super Bowl, and he also was the guy who caught that touchdown from Joe Flacco to beat the Broncos. That he caught over Kendrick Lewis, who. Was a Texan they signed play safety. I think played one game and was cut, and uh, immediately fizzled to play free safety for Houston. And I, I think that was 2013. I think so. Yes, that's correct. Uh, 14. Damn it. Yeah, but Lewis is bad. He was like a second round pick too. Yeah. Lewis was like one of the slowest safeties I've ever seen play. Yeah, and I mean, just like how badly he misjudged that ball too from Jones. Right. Like, man, like what a what a moment. What like what a spot to be in in time, you know, to be Lewis in that spot. It's awful. And well, you know, and Peyton got his because he you know, sacrificed enough goats with Kubiak and was the worst <laughs> quarterback in the league and still won a Super Bowl, you know. Um, and Von Miller won him a Super Bowl that year. Yep. So I don't have another guy, but I have a, another um, set of circumstances. So in the 2017 season, the Texans drafted Deshaun Watson and then they start Tom Savage week one. Do y'all remember this? And yes. he started against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they sacked him six times the first like, half, then benched him. No, it wasn't, Matt, it wasn't six times. It was like 88 times. Well, yeah, they sacked him six times, and then Watson <laughs> came in and got sacked four times, and then Jacksonville became Saxonville and wins the AC Tail game. Oh. I think Bortles only complete 11 passes that game to beat Houston as well. Um, and then after that point, you know, Watson play, but they lost some close games. They still weren't a playoff team with Watson. He tore his ACL in practice that week. Um, but with Savage as the starter, the Texans went one and nine with him as a star that year. The only game they won, they beat Blaine Gabbert and the Arizona Cardinals. And, uh, and I, that was a very stupid day. And the best game of it all, though, came against Tennessee. Whenever Houston was down 13-17 and Jeff Allen had a start left tackle that game. And so they're down 13-17. They're driving. And Jeff Allen falls starts three times and forces Houston to a fourth and 19. And the pineapple man's going berserk and Tennessee's going berserk. And then Savage does the improbable and completes a 22 yard pass to Steven Anderson of all people, who was like in like the, like the list R gene uh, upper echelon of great preseason Texans and Steven Anderson. And then the next play after converting that fourth and 22, he throws the interceptions to LaShawn Sims, like staring blankly at DeAndre Hopkins the entire way. And the Texans lose, of course, and Derrick Henry has 75-yard touchdown, touchdown run pretty quickly after that. But uh, that was just such a, a great, like, I don't know, like a great sequence of events in that game. One of my favorite games of all time. 
Like definitely like the the second best part of the seventeen season. That's hateful, man. That that was just a hateful rant. I just want to say on the record that was a hateful rant. Um, I mean, the the one thing I want to go back to that that I still hammer and that I still just really just fires me up, and it really does, is the fact that you have Tom Savage, who is you, you already know it's straight trash. I mean, you already know he's terrible. He can't do anything. And you had Deshaun Watson lighting it up in the preseason, and you still started Tom Savage as the opening day quarterback. And he, it was he like, was like what, what else do you need to? What else did you need to happen for for Deshaun not to start? Yeah, remember how bad he was against the Niners in that preseason game? Oh God! There was one preseason game. It's like what? And like. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how bad name redacted was to get benched for Tom Savage the year before. I just, I, I don't get it. And I don't, what, that, lots of stuff I want to say that I probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> He's also really similar to, like, watching him is kind of similar to watching Zach Methenberger. Like, pretty much like identical oh, quarterbacks, you know? Like, slow in the pocket, no accuracy. But they're you know tall and white, and that's the only thing that matters sometimes. The slow processing the game. I mean, yeah. there, there's you can you can actually see the smoke coming out of their ears as they're trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, do you have any other guys, Carlos, at all? Well, I was actually going to chip in on Tom Savage a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but the twelfth man at A and M was basically. Um, they needed a they needed a guy to come in fill in, so they pulled somebody out of the stands. Is that the gist? That that's the lore. Okay, yep. so they probably made Tom it up. Savage though. kind of felt like they pulled somebody out of the stands, but in, like it was still some chubby fat frat dude that they decided to curl <laughs> the pigskin in a professional setting, um, and that's kind of how I feel about him the entire way. Is just. <laughs> So negative, and the fact that Bob literally looked at him after after the prison said, "Yeah, I want you to play." You know, <laughs> people people don't remember that enough. Yeah, and I don't like. I think that's how he played, but it wasn't that situation because the Texans like drafted him as like a quarterback of the future idea in 2014. And you know, instead of drafting Bridgewater or Garoppolo or Derek Carr, or any number of quarterbacks that they could have rolled with for you know three or four seasons and you know, been an actual playoff team and somewhat of a contender with, uh, it set this, it set the circumstances for, you know, Keenum and Fitzpatrick and Yates and Savage and name redacted and Mallet and, um, and all the, all those guys, all those names and all those bad days, you know, and, you know, at least it is John Watson eventually, who was the player that Rick Smith traded up to take, of course. And, uh, it, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll never get over. I'll never, I'll never get over that, uh, that 14 draft. Um, so I don't have any other guys, but here are some some guys from. So, I, I want to interject just really yeah, yeah. quickly. Sorry, is that the one thing those guys all have in common is they supposedly had big arms. Tom Savage, Osweiler, Mallet, they all had big arms. Yeah, that's it. Or they're they had, they're tough and and smart. It's either one tall, white, big arm, or like tough and smart, like Fitzpatrick or Hoyer or Keenum. You know. Yeah, I I still think Fitzpatrick was kind of an outlier to the whole thing. Anyway. Um, he's similar to they, Hoyer, though. Yeah. And he's oh, similar. God. And then, and, then he, and then Fitzpatrick's kind of similar to Keenum. But Keenum was like a desperation in 2017. Like he was a drunk dial. Or he was a drunk dial in 2014 whenever Fitzpatrick broke his leg and Mallet tore his pectoral. Yeah. 
Oh God. So it just comes down to <laughs> either guys with big arms or who are wily. Yeah. It's intelligent. Wily. Intelligent. Yeah. White, big arm, tall, or uh, intelligent. And Brian, and for, former New England always helps as well, too. It's, <laughs> it's just so freaking pathetic. Anyway. Yeah. Hoyer is my least favorite quarterback of the bunch because he was so boring to watch. And, like, he wasn't interesting. He was just, like, the most, like, you know, 2% milk quarterback in the history of the league and uh, did absolutely nothing well, but could just, like, find the open guy against zone coverage often enough. Do you have any good uh, Hoyer memories, Carlos? Um, Hoyer, out of that murderer's group, <laughs> is probably the, the one I regret the least. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, he, he, I, he just fills in as a... Uh, milk toast gray blank slate in that in my memory of those seasons I, I mean I just kind of brick out quarterbacks for for that stretch uh, where we didn't have Deshaun Watson <clears throat> my favorite Brian Hoyer memory will always be and it's one of my all-time favorite football memories is the Hoyer's floater against the yeah. Cowboys that was perfection. That was Bill O'Brien perfection right there. Yeah, that was good. And that was they lost to Matt Hasselbeck that game on Thursday Night Football. And Hasselbeck was like 42. <laughs> no, he was like 88 years old. He was Matt Hasselbeck was 102 years old when he made when he won that game. I'm telling you right now. And uh, and like seven of those points that game they had came from Jalen Strong catching a hail mary too. <laughs> right. <laughs> God. What a great season. Um, so some of the reader slash listener slash uh, comment questions I have or responses I had. Uh, one was from at Sammy Bissett on Twitter. And uh, they said Kaylee Wong and Jamie Sharper. Both of them are good guys. Sharper was always great Madden because he would always have like 205 tackles. Yeah. Sammy. Much love. Yeah. So they were good players. I mean, they, they, they were both had limited skill sets. They both did what they did very well. They weren't bad football players by any means. So, you know, good guys. Mm-hmm. The next one was from at Uproot Texan. He jumps on top of a car and screams, Rashad Butler. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember Butler. I think he was a right tackle, though. Yeah, he was a tackle. Yeah. I'm, yeah. What, like, so of all the bad Texans offensive linemen, which one is your favorite? Like, are you a, are you a McKinney fan? Are you a Zach Weigert fan? Are you a Chester Pitts fan? Which one are you, BFD? I, I think Chris Clark is always going to be in my crawl a little bit too much. I, okay. I think he's, he's my dude. Yeah. So the next one's from uh, at 4NBC. And he said, on the nose of Sean Cody. So I think he's referencing Sean Cody, but also that oh, fun uh, web series. Like the Texans were a fun team in you know, 2010, 2011. And yeah. I think like, you know, one one of the things that's that's kind of different now with Houston feels like they're I don't know they don't seem all they're not like as like the most fun thing about them is Watson but like with everything else it just seems, there's just a big shroud I think around the team but like I think a lot of people really love and and think about those 10 and 11 teams and 12 teams a lot just because they were really fun they had a lot of uh, fun players and the Sean Cody on the nose thing was a good example is there an episode that stands out to you at all Carlos? Uh, there was one because I loved on the nose and Sean Cody himself as a personality. There was one where I believe he had Connor Barwin and uh, Antonio Smith, maybe, and they were kind of doing this uh, this jingle. I mean, I, I'm 
I'm really pulling deep for that. <laughs> it was a I, I always loved seeing those shorts because it was it was like getting a little sneak peek into the personality of the team and like you hit the nail on the head. Now outside of Deshaun Watson, it feels like everybody's pretty pretty bland and not out there. I mean, there's only so much of JJ Watts like wholesomeness that you can take. Sometimes you just want a little bit more pizzazz from your players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many there's so many Watt tweets about playing tag or missing sports or working hard that you know you can only take or whatever. But uh, and then now also like it's like you know they they really make an effort to be like a hardworking blue collar you know tough tough Christian team you know at the moment that you kind of lose some of that as well too you know. Get get a uh, get Bernard McKinney some more twi- Twitch followers because I do like his tattoos and his entire aesthetic he has. Um, some other guys we have here are Salvatore from at Salvatore Ambulando. He has Jesse Nading, Tim Bullman. I vaguely remember Bullman. Dewan Robinson, Kevin Bentley, Tim Jameson, Troy Nolan, and David Dixon. You like those guys, BFT? <laughs> Dewan Robinson had some moments. Uh, Kevin Bentley. Oh my God! We back in the uh, the good, the bad, and the Miko days. Kevin Bentley got quite a bit. He he had a lot of skills. He was a good football player, but he he never kind of put it together, uh, mostly because of injuries. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, they it's a bunch of jags right there. Just it's a bunch a, of guys. Yeah, it's a bunch of guys. A bunch of guys being dudes there. Uh, from the Republic of Texas, he mentioned in the post today. Aaron Glenn had two pick six game against the Steelers. Right. I don't remember that. I don't remember that at all. Do you, do you either of you remember that? Uh, it's two thousand three. Sounds good to me. Four. We, we it, that was the game we won like twenty three to six, and we had like fifty yards of offense. <laughs> oh, I think, and that was like week fifteen or something like that, like really yeah. late in the season. Yeah. yeah, that's a good Texans game. Like seventy five yards of offense, two defensive touchdowns, six field goals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Travis Rogat said, uh, Joe Mathis, Pro Bowl kick returner, his rookie season. He mentioned Mike Muhammad. I was never a big Muhammad guy. I never really understood people who liked him. And then he said, Charles Spencer could have been a stalwart left tackle if it wasn't for a freak knee injury he had. Yeah, Charles Spencer's Barbaro. That, that was her. That's Barbaro. <laughs> that shows how old I am. It's a racehorse named Barbaro. Okay, and, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they had to put they had to put down. He won like two races in the Kentucky during Derby. During the Derby. Yeah, yeah. They put him down during the you know during That's the Derby. <laughs> so that was our nickname for Charles Spencer. Uh, poor guy. He's a really awesome. For everything I see, I've never met him. He's a really awesome dude, and he's he's really smart. He's really sweet, and he has the nickname of Barbara. Yeah, that was like 07. That was a big controversy because they're like, why are you going to kill his horse, you know, if it's just yep. uh, if his leg is just a little hurt? And I, I guess their legs are so complicated that they can never like really move ever correctly again if they do break a leg like that. Um, uh, CBJ, 1994, Jabbar Gaffney. 10-year-old me was convinced Gaffney was the second coming <laughs> of Randy Moss. And I remember playing like Madden with the Texans, like Madden 05, and Gaffney had a concussion in the game. And like the injury stuff showed up in real time. And it's like, he'll be out for the remainder of his career. And I shut that game off so fast because I was so upset to lose Jabbar Gaffney for the rest of his career in you know, 2005. Yeah, he wasn't the next Randy Moss on any level at all. He was <laughs> not fast. He was not tall. He could not jump. Uh, he, he came out of Florida. He came out of a system. Oh, my gosh. He was not a good football player. Sorry. And- 
Yeah, Carlos, I know you mentioned Holly Waring earlier. The original Chad, though, for the Houston Texans was James Casey. Remember old James at all? Yeah, absolutely. Original Chad. Yeah, I I grew up with him. I mean, uh, I was a little bit post-Vontae. So James Casey coming in, like, playing these weird setups and occasionally popping in his head was uh, was great to see. And he is an absolute Chad. And the funny thing about James Casey back in the day, when he was drafted, I, I just want to say, his rookie year on the blog, so you had commenters that not only was James Casey going to be the split end, the tight end, the <laughs> fullback, the long snapper, the hot dog vendor. I mean, that was literally the, the chatter on him was he's going to do everything because he's a rice guy. He's smart. Yeah. Well, he just kind of sucked at everything is, is really what it came <laughs> down to. Yeah. And because he really lacked in athleticism and you have to have it all. You know, this is the NFL. You have to have it all. And James Casey never could put it together. But well, my think- gosh, the expectations that he was going to do all these roles is his rookie year, for crikey's sake, his rookie <laughs> year was incredible. And like his nickname is Thor as well, too. And I don't know, it's just weird. Like, I'm, I'm not from Houston also. I don't, I don't understand. But people from Houston really love everything from Houston. So the guy goes to Rice or goes to University of Houston. They'll stick with them for you know forever and ever. And so it's it always is kind of like a bad thing whenever a player from that area ends up playing in Houston because the expectations get uh, absolutely absurd. Yep. Uh, yep. We also have, we have Marlon Greenwood here from at Cotto underscore eighty seven, oh, which is a, like and you could just put him, Zach Dials, Xavier DB. No, all, no, don't you don't you Marlon <laughs> don't you put Marlon in that group. <laughs> They're all kind of like this, just like you know. Uh, cop, you know, control Z, control V, uh, Texans linebacker. No, Moreland was different. He he should have been good. Look, Zach Dials was a sixth round pick and and the best value ever in, in the sixth round in football history. Um, Moreland Greenwood should have been good. And one of the funniest posts ever in the history of BRB was Little Matt writing a manifesto about Moreland Greenwood. And so we have made fun of him. I think that was 2006. We've made fun of him for 14 years for that post that Moreland Greenwood was going to be an, a Hall of Fame linebacker. So there you go. <laughs> I like it. I'm about to try to find that. Uh, and the, the last guy we have here from, from the listeners slash readers slash uh, Twitter responders, the reply guys is um, Cody Johnson. And he said, David Anderson was the greatest Texans, that guy in franchise history. Good for a touchdown on the bench twice a year. And he did stamp comedy on the side. Also, he has a great set of hips. He could do the str- he could do the the Conan O'Brien oh, the string dance so well. Yeah. I'm sorry. What was the question? Uh, I was just a guy that he liked. You know. Okay. Throw throw this one to Carlos for sure. Carlos, did you you wrote about Anderson? Did you write about Kevin Walter? You wrote about Walter, right? Yeah, I wrote about a uh, Walter. Love him. Love him to death. Good. Great number two. Um, still never got back to him in that email. I I feel bad, but honestly, he's he's up there and one of my favorite all time Texans for sure. Just as a as a trooper. Yeah, that's a. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, I don't. I I you should whenever you write your your next one of those articles. I think Don McDavis would be good, and I think uh, I think Antonio Smith would be good too. Because Antonio, like the Texans, haven't had a good interior pass rusher aside from JJ Watts and Smith, um, you know, left the team and ended up retiring. Right. So the, the last question I had here 
was from Salvador as well too. And he was like, you know, the 2005 roster may be one of the worst rosters of all time. So I just want, want you to hear the offensive starters and the defensive stars for the 2005 Texans. And this was the Texans team that went two and 14. Uh, this was Dom Capers last year. They signed Kubiak the year after. And so it was David Carr, quarterback, running back Dominic Williams, uh, wide receiver Jabbar Gaffney, wide receiver Andre Johnson, tight end Mark Bruner. Uh, he had two catches for 22 yards and started 15 games that year. Tackle Chester Pitts, tackle Todd Wade, guard Milford Brown, center Steve McKinney. They're defensive starters. Robert Smith, the defensive end, Gary Walker, defensive end. And Walker started 11 games that year, age 32, and had zero sacks. Uh, Seth Payne at nose tackle. Shante Orr, another good Texans linebacker, left outside linebacker. Marlon Greenwood, middle linebacker. Antoine Peak, right outside linebacker. Linebacker Deshaun Polk. Uh, right cornerback Dante Robinson. And their safeties were CC Brown and 31 year old Marcus Coleman. And they also had Jason Babbins on this team. And uh, But just a really bad group of guys. BFT, do you have any fond memories of the 2005 Texans? None. That was when I first started blogging about the Texans, and that was a that that made blogging about the Texans fun, is because they were so bad. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like the fact that you could just, uh, you know, uh, when 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 Shane Leckler was trash, I couldn't even say that Shane Leckler was trash on BRB because people get all offended by it. But when it was the 2005 Texans, I mean, you could say anybody except Andre was trash because it was a true story, bro. Yeah, I. Uh... Yeah, that's good. And also, um, man, I, I just had it and I lost it. I don't know. Who cares? It doesn't really matter at all. Um, and the last listener question we had tonight, this was this is actually some Texans analysis. You ready, BFD? You ready, Carlos? This is from at Smith Grandma. So he has a real, real oh, actual okay. question. Too we're, smart. Done, yeah. we're done remembering some guys who got put on a different hat. Um, the listener question he had was, I've been growing convinced that Rick Smith was a mastermind. Over the last year, we've squandered a ton of roster and draft value letting premium AAA players go for below average returns, giving premium draft capital up for players that will take all the cap value. Cobb, Cooks, Johnson, Fuller are all unlikely to be here in two years. Cunningham and Reed will, have to, will be in line to get paid. J.J. Watt will retire. The question is, how long is this sustainable? How bad will the drop-off be, and how long will we be bad for um, once this drop happens and potentially in, in you know, two years or so? That's you, Carlos. Well, I would have to say... <clears throat> Money is going to get really, really, really tight. And uh, at first, I had thought that maybe the cap would stay uh, the same. I had seen some places report that um, there are a lot of contingencies in place to make sure that the cap, if it didn't gain, it would stay where it is. But it seems like recently, I think I saw something where it said it can be projected to drop about 40 mil. So I think it's going to be a really rough ride. And the window just got absolutely like slammed shut like i mean the crack is maybe an inch wide so it's it's going to be really tough in the next couple of years trying to trying to balance everything yeah what about you bft oh he, he muted himself because he's afraid to answer the question <laughs> it's uh something nobody wants to look forward to i can tell you that yeah well i, I had to go I think a P is the real true story. So thanks, oh, okay. Carlos. That was a good, good long answer. And I've already peed enough on this podcast over the years. So, um, which is actually a thing. No, it, it's Rick Smith was not a mastermind. Rick Smith, um, 
I mean, the, the story is Rick Smith was great at hitting the first round. He couldn't hit any other round. Everything else was a crapshoot. And there's a certain skill with that. Like what we've seen in, in drafting is that a good general manager adds about 2% of value to a draft, which is crazy to think about. Crazy. So you think about that just an av- just, just throwing out a dartboard is 50-50, and a good GM adds about 2% of that. It's crazy. So... But he hit in the first. He couldn't hit anything else. He had a lot of top-heavy talent over the years. Um, that's great, but it also hurt us. And so what I think we see with Bill O'Brien is like the exact opposite. We, what we see is that he's trying to build up a lot of depth. That we're losing a lot of the talent. And the fact is you have to have a balance of the two. You have to get the guys in the first round. You have to get the guys in the fifth round. And you can mix those up. So you get a Richard Sherman in the fifth. And so you and you get a Russell Wilson in third, and all of a sudden you've got a Seattle team that's got a a dynasty kind of thing going on. Or you get Tom Brady in the sixth, who keeps taking small contract after small contract so that they can continue to build up Super Bowl teams on the side. There has to be a a balance, and the Texans don't have that. They didn't have it under Rick Smith, and they certainly don't have it under Bill O'Brien, Big Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the point he's trying to make is more like Rick Smith seems like a mastermind compared to you know Bill O'Brien and some of the moves that have been made recently. Um, and you know, it's not even like I understand what you're saying as far as like finding value in those later rounds, but it's also the best thing that you can have. The cheat code of building a really great football team is having an incredible quarterback on his rookie contract. And what did the Texans turn that into? They turned into um, two playoff or three playoff trips or two play. How many? Two playoff trips, right? I don't know. I can't remember. It, it doesn't two. matter because we two. get we get skunked out in yeah. the first round. No, they they had two. They lost the Colts and then they uh, beat Buffalo and then they lost KC or whatever. But like that's that was the window. And like they have one more year with Watson. I don't think they're gonna extend the summer. I think they're gonna wait until next year. So that way they have like a another chance where they can have an expensive roster and then you know, next year they can not pay Wolf Fuller and cut David Johnson and cut Brand Cooks and do whatever it is they need to do to have the cap space to do so. But like that was the best chance the Texans have ever had to win a Super Bowl was, was with Watts on his rookie contract. And they pretty much squandered that entirely with, you know, Brian Gaines really weird off season with how they weren't able to like enjoy their players enough because they didn't fit the mold of a Bill O'Brien guy and got traded for um, poor value in those situations. And then also like such a weird focus on like locker room philosophy and team that I still don't, you know, I still can't fully wrap my head around. And like, I still can't believe the fact that, DeAndre Hopkins became Brandon Cooks, David Johnson, and Ross Blacklock. You know, like it, it still is unfallible to me. And the Texans got worse this offseason as well, too. But I do think, Carlos, you brought up a great point, just like how much money they're going to have to spend. And so I think like Houston has, you know, if this whole like fast vertical thing works and they actually throw the ball downfield and they're aggressive, like I think they could have a good offense, but a better offense than they had last year that was mediocre, mainly from a change in play calling. But it, they still have a defense that, they only added Eric Murray to and a, and a, a second round pick and a third round pick to. It's the same defense though that was 26 in DVOA last year, and they're praying for a bunch of good things to happen that really never happened before or have happened you know once in the last you know five years or so. And so because of that, like I still see a team that is going to fight for the seven seed or so, and then you're paying Watson 35 million a year, and you're paying Tunsil 25 million a year, and then that's like a 30 year cap space, and then you have Bill O'Brien up on the podium saying things like. 
well, it's really difficult to build a football team when you pay your quarterback and your left tackle that much when it's his decisions that lets that occurring as well, too. So, like, I do, I do think, like, and, like, as bad as, like, doom and gloom and as uh, unfortunate as circumstances this is, they still have Watson, and, like, whenever you have a great quarterback, you're at least probably going to win somewhere between, like, you know, seven and ten games a year. But they have failed him completely in, you know, putting together, like, a, a Super Bowl-caliber team for a quarterback of his talent and stature. And, uh, like, he should be, like, a slam-dunk top-five quarterback. The Texans should be, like, they should walk away with the AFC South this year. But instead, it looks like it's going to be a dogfight and a team where the best thing they did this offseason was have the the number seven seed get created this year, um, which is my favorite Mike Meltzer quote of all time. And so it is bad. It's a it's a rough spot to be in. And, uh, and like this is kind of like the year in a weird way, because like you know he mentioned here, like Reed and, and Cunningham are like the only two players that in Blacklock and you know, whatever rookies they have are really kind of the only guys you, you're going to see in this defense in the next two years or so. And you have the offensive line in Watson, and that's what your your future build is going to come around. And again, it's like a team that didn't get better this offseason, too. But uh, I don't know. I'm mad. I don't. <laughs> Carlos, you want to take that? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it feels pretty doom and gloom. That's why I'm just trying to really restrict my view to this upcoming season, try not to think about what's coming up after, even though eventually I will. Um, just to see what this new team looks like, what this new offense everybody keeps talking about looks like, and see if if things really do make a change. I mean, I have no reason to believe that um, that Tim Kelly and Weaver are gonna jump up and you know try and change everything underneath Bill O'Brien's feet. I think it's gonna be a lot of the same, but hopefully, I'm proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like I think I I'm inclined Tim Kelly just a third nipple on Bill O'Brien's belly. And like I don't see like some like there is gonna be change in offense that like a play calling change is the best way for this offense to get better. But I don't buy it coming from Tim Kelly. He's just an extension of O'Brien. And like with Weaver, like he can be a great defensive coordinator, but it's a talent issue. The defense wasn't bad last year because of Cornell. It was bad because of the horses they have on the field. And so I don't I don't see a big improvement at all from this defense. And like yeah, like there could be if they force you know 27 turnovers because. That's the most important part of defensive play, and it's pretty fluky. But uh, I don't, I don't see the improvement there. I think it has to come from the play calling, and it's very dubious that it's going to come from Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien. That, um, you know, we're not going to see uh, David Johnson have 250 carries this year for you know 3.7 yards a carry. No. But uh, I don't have anything else for tonight. Do you guys have anything else you want to get off your chest for tonight, show? I just want to show all the audience my boobs. After that, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait this is a podcast ah damn it <laughs> yeah i mean i guess like we could live stream it but i don't want to like i have enough problems with people driving past my house i don't want to have you know, any more people trying to stalk me you know for being so beautiful and so wonderful you know well you're, you're like the sexy uh fred from uh oh my god the harry potter novels you're, you're well, like, i got a haircut friend. now though i got a haircut ah, now, at least damn it yeah, we got to find a new one. Um, but anyways, that's our show for tonight. Thanks for being on tonight, BFD. And thanks for coming on tonight, Carlos. And, you know, whenever we have any epic, like I keep saying, like, this is probably the end of the show for a while. And there's always some dumb idea that comes up um, whenever I'm walking the dog or whatever. But I'm sure we'll be back on maybe as early as this week or not next week or so. And uh, we'll keep on conti- going through the summer and as we get closer and closer to football season uh, this year. 
until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Ballard Radio. And thanks for being on tonight, BFT and Carlos. Woo! No problem. <laughs>